welcome to short view of corporate governance at LSE. My name is Tom Kirchmeier and I have with me here Chris Hodge. Chris Hodge is from the okay. Institute of Chartered Secretaries and Administrators and for many years has been at the FRC, also called Financial Reporting Council. In fact, this is where we met quite, quite a long time ago. Thanks, Chris, for coming in. It's a pleasure, Tom. So, Chris, your speciality was, you know, codes, the stewardship code, the governance code. You know, if you look back, what do you think com countries that want to implement a governance code can learn? I think it's very much dependent on the local situation. Uh, there's a number of different factors that need to be taken into account in deciding whether a code is something that will work in a, in a particular environment. I think the first thing that needs to be thought about is what the objective of the attempt to introduce a code or other sort of governance requirements is. For example, if it's something that's intended to deal with outright misconduct or to introduce what you might call minimum acceptable requirements, a voluntary self-regulatory code is probably not the right tool to do that. You're probably looking at more traditional law or listing rules or, or whatever the case may be. If, on the other hand, it's about trying to raise best practice above that minimum requirement to encourage, hopefully, better decision-making uh, more informed investment decisions by, by investors if you're focusing on, on their role or, or combining those hopefully into better performance by the company over the long term, then I think that's where a code can play a role. Whether it's going to be effective or not though rather depends on, as I say, what the local situation is. So for example, the, the UK code, the Corporate Governance Code, which I'm most familiar with obviously, operates on a basis of setting standards on what's called a comply or explain basis where there is a presumption that the company will follow the best practice that's set out in the code but if they believe it's not appropriate there's an opportunity for them to explain to their shareholders and the system then depends on their shareholders then making an informed judgment as to whether or not they accept the reasons given by the company and they believe that that's in the best interests of the company over the longer term. Trying to use that sort of approach in, in the UK way, in a market where, for example, you typically have controlling shareholders. You're there asking the, the management, the board, to essentially report to themselves on whether they think it's appropriate to deviate from the code. And in that sort of situation, a, a simple model, if, if simple is the word, of the way it works in the UK, probably needs a bit of adjustment. So you might look, for example, to the regulators to play more of a monitoring role, perhaps some third party uh, like audit firms or others to do some form of checking as to whether the companies are in fact complying or adhering to what they say they're doing in their public reporting. Uh, another model that you might look at is a country where there is traditionally no history of self-regulation. Um, I think it's an oversimplification to call it cold self-regulation but, but they are a form of that in contrast to more traditional legislation and, and, and listing rules. And Certainly there are some countries in, in Europe but elsewhere where uh, we've spoken to the local stock exchanges or regulators who've said unless it's set out as a rule, companies here will not follow it. They will see it as entirely uh, voluntary and essentially leave it to one side. So you need to have some form of system which requires them to take action or face some form of sanction. So the effectiveness of a code very much depends on the local situation and, and issues like ownership structure and a business culture, if that's the right phrase. Mm -hmm. 
So it all depends, really. It all depends, right. yes. That's <laughs> a very long way of saying it all depends. But, so, you know, we, we're talking a lot here about emerging economies, mm. all the problems that come with it, capital market access and so on. You know, does it really make so, so much of a difference for an emerging economy to, to kind of engage in these governance debates? Or wouldn't it be better off to sort out all the other problems, records and so on? I think it, it depends. I, again, it depends. Um, but the argument that we have heard that I think is the most compelling reason for thinking about governance is if it's an emerging market that has aspirations to grow to be a regional or international market as opposed to a purely local market and is looking to attract international investment, increasingly large global investors are looking for some level, at least perhaps a minimum level, of acceptable governance and acceptable practice mm -hmm. uh, as one of the factors they take into account when deciding on whether to invest in individual companies and indeed in individual economies. And, and certainly some of the large in international investing institutions have said to us they are probably, you know, their overall portfolio is underweight in certain economies because of concerns. Mm -hmm. Some of those are more fundamental concerns about the court system, the competition policy um, in countries where there is a, a lot of controlling shareholders, whether they be state-owned or, or privately owned, concerns about lack of shareholder rights, um, weak, weak regimes in relation to related party transactions, those sort of things. They would probably look at those factors, that aspect of governance, if you like, before they look at things like board composition, risk management policies, some of the things that we've tended to focus on in, in the UK and Europe mm. in recent years. But, but we, do, we do hear that there is a, it is a consideration on how much weight they place on the investments that go into particular markets and then individual companies within those markets. And so I think for what you're finding is, is perhaps in some economies led by the stock exchanges and the business community, interestingly, are seeing uh, the value in, in trying to demonstrate to international investors that there is at least uh, the bare minimums of what international investors might consider to be acceptable governance uh, arrangements and monitoring and reporting in place. So in a way this globalisation of capital markets pulls along the governance regimes and tries to kind of... It, it can do. I mean of course there are, there are shortcomings with that as well and a lot of frustrations at a, a local level. I mean one of, the, one of the regular complaints you hear from for example the Nordic countries uh, within Europe, just to take that example, is that they, they have a very different structure to the UK or the US in terms of shareholding. Uh, they tend to be, they come from a, a business culture where there's a relatively small number of local investors who have a fairly heavy shareholding in individual companies but not a controlling share. And so they, they have a system which they believe works well there but feel under pressure to change that system to something that looks in their eyes more akin to a UK or US approach to these issues because they feel that otherwise international investors will in some way um, count against their, their willingness mm. to invest in those companies because they have what they see as an untypical um, structure even though it's one that in, in the view of the Nordic countries works very well there. It can cause sort of friction and difficulties yeah. at local Because in a way you have two opposing kind of tendencies in mm. a way. On the one hand, one size fits all, but a capital market wants mm. to have a US, UK style governance regimes. But then 
like you said in the very beginning, it's all it depends on the circumstances. Yeah. Yes, and, and and as I mentioned, the uh, the complier explainer, yeah. the mantra, one size does not fit all. That's equally the case mm. with with individual markets and countries. But as you say, there's this um, there's so this tension it, that uh, it's not that one side is winning that the no, game at the moment. No, no. and I, I think as I say, there's a difference between those aspects of governance that might fall into the minimum acceptable behaviour. So things like uh, certain degrees of access for for minority investors yeah. where there's a controlling shareholder, certain protections around things like related party transactions. That may be something where it's legitimate to say there should be a minimum standard across yeah. all markets. Other aspects that get into more things like board composition, um, disclosure on certain aspects of what the company is doing, I think that's the area where the tension is 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 more noticeable mm. because that's where local traditions and, and, and so on are potentially more in conflict with an attempt to set a single regime. So. The new name in town is Stewardship Code. You were involved yes. in yeah. drafting it or at least rolling it out. Yeah. Um, maybe you could remind us what is the Stewardship Code? The Stewardship Code in the UK is an attempt essentially to encourage asset managers in particular because they're the, the people who in practice vote and engage with companies in the UK but also their clients like pension funds and, and others to undertake their part of the deal if you like uh, a system of saying companies are expected to report to shareholders who will make informed judgments about whether they're happy with the governance of the companies they invest only works if those shareholders are actually carrying out that role otherwise you have um, I think the majority of companies in, in the UK market at least would still take these issues seriously because I think they see the value for uh, both internally and also in, externally in terms of performance. But there will be those companies who are tempted to say, nobody's looking, we can, we can happily ignore all of this. So I think our view is that the system needs the shareholders to play that role. It's an area where you can't really compel people to take an interest because I think if you do that then you get a lot of unintended consequences. What you what you risk ending up with is a, a box-ticking voting exercise by people who don't actually take any interest mm. in the issue but, but use it as a, as a compliance check. Um, but people like me, for example, yes. they crit criticise the code, the stewardship code that is, as having no teeth. You know, in the end you have the economic motive and if you had an economic motive to vote before, you have it now. Mm. And if you didn't have one in the past, you don't have one now. What has changed? I has think behavior the, um, really changed? I think there are some changes. Some of them are not brought about by the codes themselves or the, or the expectations or obligations put on uh, investors by regulators or, or others. Some of it, I think, comes from a, a broader understanding of what investment uh, considerations are. And it's something that some companies welcome, some don't. But you do see investors increasingly take an interest in what you might call CSR type issues, for example. Mm. Uh, one interesting in example is tax policy. A number of years ago, I think investors, your average investor would have said, well, as long as the company is carrying out legal policy, you know, things that are legally compliant, the less tax it pays, the better, because the bigger the dividend for us. But given the public reaction to some of those high profile companies who are seen as not paying their fair share, and at least the short-term impact on, on share price and, and, and reputation of those companies that went with it, increasingly investors are now saying, well, actually, this is an investment decision for us or an investment consideration because if it damages the long-term 
value of the company. When mm. it, so I think some of the interest has come from a broadening of the, the range of factors that at least some investors take into account. A lot of them still don't still take a very pure uh, look at the numbers. But there is a, the, I, mean, I think you hit your nail, the nail on the head with, with one of the issues is in the way that the codes for companies work, if they do work, by having somebody who is there at least nominally holding them to account. You need somebody equally doing that with, with the investors if they are to, to encourage that to happen. And it is one of the, the issues that I think still needs to be resolved. We're running out of time, yeah. but having said that, now looking back over all these years where you were involved in governance, how would you summarise it? Do you think it made a huge difference? I think it's, it's one of those things where, looking at codes, there are, there are limitations to what you can achieve with a code, uh, or indeed with rules. In fact, I think codes probably are capable of achieving more in terms of encouraging good practice than, than pure rules are, for the reasons I explained at the beginning. But, so some areas, for example, around ethics and culture are things that are vitally important to good governance within organisations, whether they be companies or others very difficult to meaningfully deal with those through a code. You know, you could put something in that says, don't be greedy, don't be stupid. Uh, and everybody would say they comply, of course. So uh, so there, there is a need, I think, for the, those areas where there are work still to be done. I think we need to look at different ways of trying to, to deal with those. However, I think in terms of the markets I, I know, uh, I think you'd have to say that if you look at the general practice around uh, number of independent directors on boards, the quality of risk management and these sort of things. I think we have seen a considerable improvement over the, the last 10 years or so, but uh, the job isn't finished and it may be that the tools we've used to date are not the ones that we need to use mm -hmm. in the future to, to deal with the remaining issues. Thank you very much for coming in. Thanks very much, Tom. And thank you very much for our viewers for watching this review session on Corporate Governance Code.